Oh, wait, wait. I do have to look up one more thing. Sorry. Now I'm recording. I'm just going to cut this part out. That's fine. Jingle bells, Batman smells. Oh, my goodness. My kids have been singing Christmas songs for like two weeks now. (laughs) Every time I turn around, they're playing a Christmas song on the piano or singing a Christmas song. And Theo's singing Jingle Bells as he runs up the stairs. And I'm like, it is not Christmas. Wrong season. Not Christmas. Can we like get away from Christmas for a minute? You guys have any in the hopper right now? No. This is the hopper? Hopefully I'm done. What? Hopefully you're done. Having children? No, not children. Podcasts. Oh, podcasts oh that, that one that we just did will go up. This is the next one. And then next week. Oh. And then this one will go up in about A four month. weeks. Yeah, as long as you know, my life allows it to happen. <coughs> Are we ready? I don't know how to. I don't know how to make that <laughs> fade out. Fade out. That's a, well, that's okay. Well, I don't know. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Wherever you are, we'd like to thank all ten of our faithful listeners. Just kidding. How <laughs> There's got to be more than ten. Three, three of them are right here. Three of them are right here. And if we listen to it twice, we've doubled it to six. So, this is a good way to get our YouTube views up. Uh, clicking on it incessantly. I don't think we're on YouTube. We're not on YouTube. Although we should, because whenever I dance to that intro, it is something to be seen. Very resplendent if that's even a word anyway here with david lyons who else is here i'm megan hanges and i'm amy kiahi amy kiahi is back with miss megan mack so today's topic is going to be maybe a little bit more somber so i need to come up with a good joke before we get into i don't think sobriety is a word but whatever somberness is sobriety it's like sobriety sobriety (laughs) for people who are sad and um yeah, the rabbit trail is the, the hamster spinning, but there's nothing there. The wheel spinning. So, here's the joke. You ready? So the left. So the left eye says to the right eye, "Between you and me, something smells." Hmm. I like that one. <laughs> okay. So anyway, today I wanted to talk to you guys about grief. Grief. G R I E F. I think grief. And a little backstory on that. Um, I don't know what today's date is as far as your date of listening today is currently uh mid-february as we're recording and last year my dad who had you know i'd lived overseas in holland and peru and then later on my dad my stepmom lived in the philippines for a number of years and they moved back to the united states in may and um we were finally excited to be in the same continent at least and we were hoping to spend more time as a family uh i my kids getting to know their grandparents on that side. And so it was Thanksgiving Day. My dad, uh, you know, we called. It was video chat. And he, he just looked like he's in a lot of pain. I talked to him. He had been in pain since November 12th. And a couple of days later, he ended up going to the ER, spending about 11 hours at the ER. And uh, he was confirmed that he had cancer in his colon. And there were what they called lesions on his liver. And so... Um, they weren't sure if it was uh, cancer in his liver yet. But if it was cancer in his liver, then he would be stage four already, which generally speaking on average is like three to nine months to live. And so my dad was diagnosed December 1st with colon cancer, colorectal cancer. And then, uh, you know, I had made plans to go visit 
him January 17th. I knew from that day that it was barring some kind of miraculous intervention, whether divine or medical, that he wouldn't make it. And so, um, yeah, I, I bought tickets for January 17th. I was going to go fly and see him. On January 2nd, I was with my family down uh, in another community, and I got a call. I hadn't talked to my dad on the phone in uh, about two weeks. And the last time I talked to him, he still he knew he had cancer. He wasn't denying reality, but he sounded strong. Uh, about 10, t- 10 days, 14 days later, he calls me. My stepmom calls me, and he talks for less than two minutes. And he makes a statement, I want to fight this, but I don't know how much longer I can make it. I'm in so much pain. So I uh, went home that day, told my wife. I said that, Rachel, I, I really feel like I need to go. I'm, I don't want to wait till the 17th because I don't want to have any regrets if something happens between now and 15 days from now. So uh, it was a Monday, the 2nd, I think it was. I, I got tickets, and I left on Thursday, January 5th. So by the time I make it January 5th, uh, that night, of course, he's in bed. He had lost a lot of weight. He hadn't been eating for a while. And we had about a 45-minute to an hour conversation. And then the next day, he was barely able to speak. I mean, his voice was very weak, and he was barely able to speak over the next couple of days. And I was present so that I could hold the phone up to uh, him so that my siblings could call him and say goodbye. And then Monday, there would have been the 9th of January, my, it was, I couldn't make the decision. My stepmom made the decision to put him in the hospice, so I was there as he went in the hospice. And then um, walking away, because like, I had to leave because I had to catch a flight. I had to drive back to Charlotte, North Carolina, later that night. And um, saying goodbye, like choosing to say goodbye. I've never been around someone that's had to pull the plug, so to speak, on, on a ventilator or something like that. But walking away from someone, knowing it's going to be the last time you ever talk to them, it was really, really, really hard. And the entire time, uh, there were times I'd be okay, and then there were times that it just, out of nowhere, it seemed I would just be hit with this flood of emotions, grief, uh, sorrow, sense of loss. Um, theologically, I was okay. You know, I, I knew, I mean, I understand, well, why is my dad dying so young? Or, you know, the what ifs, and is God good? And like, those, those were never questions, because those questions have been settled in my mind. In, in my heart for a number of years but there's still just intense grief and so then I left my, my brother and my sister flew the next morning they were there with my stepmom and spending time he ended up uh, making it another couple days of course by that point he was what they call the actively dying stage he was not able to communicate not responsive and just waiting to die and so um, he passed away at 9.43 in the morning on January 12th central time he was in eastern time 1043. And so it's just things that really hit me. And I, you know, and, and then when I got the call, I was meeting with a, another pastor on that Thursday morning. And I got the call. And actually, I want, I want to read some quotes before I get to there. These are some things I really want to talk about. And if you guys want to chime in, great. If it's just me talking today, that's fine too. But um, C.S. Lewis has a book called A Grief Observed. And um, he, he's, these are a couple different quotes, all from this book, all from him. He says, For in grief, nothing stays put. One keeps on emerging from a phase, but it always recurs, round and round. Everything repeats. Am I going in circles, or dare I hope I'm in a spiral? But if I'm in a spiral, am I going up or down? How often will it be for always? How often will the vast emptiness astonish me like complete novelty and make me say, I never realized my loss till this moment. 
that the same le- leg is cut off time after time. And that really speaks to me because people would ask me how you're doing. And at times I would be completely fine. And other times just this wave would hit me. And, um, you know, there, another quote I really, really liked, it says, uh, I thought I could describe a state, make a map of sorrow. Sorrow, however, turns out to not be a state, but a process. Then it goes on to say, well, I'll, I'll stop there. And so for me, I, I really wanted to speak to the people that, you know, my wife and I, before we had kids and we couldn't have kids, she actually got pregnant, my wife did, and then we had a miscarriage a couple of days later. She had a DNC on, on Mother's Day. The, you know, we heard the heartbeat, the baby passed away the, in, in utero. And, and that was one wave of grief. A couple of years ago, uh, a, a friend of ours here, a Megan and her husband Nicholas and, and mine, uh, ended up taking his life in early December. And that day at my board meeting, I think that was maybe before you joined, Megan, but that day I just shared the story about this, this young man's passing. And I just broke down and just started crying. And someone said, you know, I made the statement along the lines of grief. This grief to me is a gift. I don't know why I'm feeling this strongly about this, this guy. You know, I wasn't real close with him, but this grief to me is a gift because it knows that I'm, it helps me to know that I'm still alive. Hmm. You know, and so, um, and to that degree, I think grief and sorrow can be a gift. It can be a present. Um, so concerning my dad, you know, I knew there are, in, in theory, I knew there are right ways to handle it. You know, you, you don't want to stuff it down. You don't want it to become your world. For me, I, I didn't want to talk to anybody. But at the same time, I was grateful when people would ask me how I was doing. Uh, so I would say, let me, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you. Let me talk to you on my terms, though. Thank you for being available. And so um, the, the dangerous thing is just to stuff it down, not to deal with it. But, you know, if you're out there listening today, and you've gone through whether a loss of a loved one or, or maybe, you know, you've, you have my father-in-law got in a really bad accident several years ago and he lost his leg. Maybe that's it. You know, but grief is a real thing. And, you know, I, I kind of want to read one, one more quote and then maybe something else and then I'll be quiet, let you guys chime in. But um, C.S. Lewis says again, you never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you're merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Would you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Right? There's a story years ago when they strung up a, a, a rope of some kind or a cord across the Niagara Falls. And this guy got on and walked across and then later he got a wheelbarrow. He's like, do you guys believe I can walk? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across? Yeah, yeah. He says, okay, get in. Hmm. Right? It's like, yeah. we all believe it as long as it, it doesn't, we're not faced with the reality of it. And I, I kind of want to end with this, and then I'll let, let you guys um, chime in. First Corinthians 15 talks about Christ uh, being risen from the dead. It says, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then that Christ is risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and then it goes on to say, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And this quote here, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, then we are above all men most pitiable. And again, quoting 
C.S. Lewis, you never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. And so when I get the call, and again, I'm not patting myself on the back by any means. I sense God's grace in the midst of all this. When I get the call that my dad had passed, if my brother called me, uh, this other pastor with whom I was speaking, after I get a phone, he says, are you okay? I said, yeah. If, and then I made this statement. It's actually quite profound, which I never do, so I'm going to remember the profound ones. right? He, I said, you know, if we believe, if we really believe what we say we believe, my dad is in such a really good place right now. Hmm. No sorrow, no tears, yeah. and I'll miss him. But if by God's grace we can really, really believe that, what, what his truth, what the Bible says, then I will see him again, right? And so for me, the reality of God's word, the reality of the truth of his word, the reality of his presence, his nearness, the reality of his grace is what brought me through these different seasons of loss in the midst of my grief with our uh, unborn child, with this young man taking his life, and then more recently my dad passing away. So Megan or Amy, have there been times in your lives when, you know, confronted with whatever it might be, and then how did you handle the process of grief? And if someone is grieving, what's something encouraged they could do, and you know, learning from your own testimony or experience? Well, um, several years ago, you know, there was a, a moral failure in our church, and, and we took over the church after that. And so we kind of grieved um, the, the loss of a leader. Um, and in, within that, the same couple of years that all of this was happening and we were trying to help rebuild a church, um, my cousin was murdered by her husband. And so then we went to Texas for all of that. That was before. And then my other cousin, her brother, was in a motorcycle accident and um, was killed. And so all of this happened over the course of like three or four years. And so that was, that was hard. And I think that because we were so busy at the time, it was kind of like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this on the shelf and I'm going to grieve later because I have to take care of all the things that I need to do now. And I know that that's not healthy. Mm. Um, but the hardest part about that is I'm not sure that either one of my cousins were saved. Mm. You know, I'm not sure that they knew Jesus. Mm. And, and so processing through, you know, for David, you know, my dad's in a, in a better place and you can, you can go there with your mind. Whereas in this, I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I just have to believe that God is sovereign. And that God can speak to them even on their deathbed, even, you know, in both of these situations with my cousins, it was, you know, walk in. Well, you know, there's, there's no hope we have to pull the plug. Um, however, my uncle through this actually, um, went through, um, politicians and all of this to get laws changed in Texas, um, based on, uh, domestic violence and things like that. And so with his grief, he used that to fight a battle and, and win a battle for people that could possibly come after that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I would add, um, so, so some of the things that I've had um, grief with are, um, I've had a, a friend who passed away unexpectedly at the age of 40. Hmm. Um, I, like you, David, I've had um, two miscarriages. Um, and in, in both of those scenarios, um, I, I think that, you know, I can hold on to a hope that people who don't have Jesus don't really have, like Megan kind of alluded to, like, how do you, how do you process this without that hope? It's got to be so much harder. And I'm, I'm so grateful that in those scenarios, I did have a hope of them being in heaven with Jesus yeah. and, um, for eternity. And, um, one of the things that I, a couple of things that I would say about grief is that if you're in grief, um, there's no, 
There's no textbook for grief. Everybody's process is a little different. Um, it will come in waves, and it's okay to not be okay sometimes. But what you don't want to do is stay stuck there. Right. And so um, if, if you're in grief, I think the best way to, to not stay stuck there is to be able to talk about it. I remember after my second miscarriage, which for whatever reason, I think it was just way harder than my first one. Um, for me, both of them were the loss of, of a life that I will, I will get to parent those children in heaven for all of eternity. I really believe that. But at the same time, that second one was much harder for me. I think it was knowing that... Um, that I probably wouldn't have another chance of having a child. It was, it was more than just the loss of the person um, that would have been. It was also the loss of a, a future for me to be a mom to, mm -hmm. um, to another child probably because I was an older parent when I had my, I have a daughter who's nine right now. Um, but anyway, for, for me, um, I remember getting up on that Sunday just a couple of days later and going to church and saying to the pastor, I want you to announce this. And honestly, that was so hard because I knew it would just be easier not to. It'd be easier not to have to face people. It'd be easier. And the awkwardness of people not knowing what to say in church, you know, was, but I just remember, like, I don't know, a dozen people walking up to me after church with tears in their eyes saying, I've had a miscarriage too. And then me thinking, I'm, I can't be here for you right now. <laughs> like I'm not okay yeah. and I'm bawling and it was just a mess. But in some ways I think that helped me to get through it because I just, I laid it out there and I chose to go right through it instead yeah. of trying to go around it. Instead of pr trying to pretend it wasn't there, I made a decision to just face it and deal with it and talk about it and talk to others about their grief too. And, and that I think helped me a lot. Um, Another thing in both the scenarios of my um, unborn children and also my friend um, who passed away, I, sometimes I think that it's really nice to do something afterwards to remember that person. And I don't know, David, if you guys have talked about that, but I think sometimes if you plant a tree or for me, I, I have a mother's ring now. It took me a couple of years to get it. And it has my living daughter and my two children's birthstones who weren't born. Yeah. And to have, to be able to wear that and remember that this is real. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes when those waves go away, you still have that. Like I didn't forget yeah. because sometimes I think we hang on to grief because we don't want to forget. We don't want to just say it's gone. And if you can find it really healthy ways to remember, like planting a tree in your backyard in their name or um, having something in your house to remind you. Sometimes I think those are really, really great, healthy reminders that um, that, that really, um, I'm, I'm not forgetting about them, mm -hmm. but, I, but I don't have to live in that uh, pain of the emotion forever. The pain of the emotion can go away, but you, the, the reality that you're still sad doesn't ever go away, mm -hmm. right? And so can we find ways to do that in a healthy way? Yeah. You have something? Go yeah, ahead. Um, I, I have a really close friend in the church. She's older than me, kind of mom figure type. And she lost her husband a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And she is still grieving. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is her husband. This is her lifelong partner in everything. And um, she's Decades. still grieving. Decades. Yes. Yeah. And I've heard so, so many um, things here and there that, well, maybe she should be done grieving. Mm. Well, I think grief is such a long process. And like you said, it, you know, it's different for everyone. Yeah. And I think that it's, I don't know, is it cliche to say it's okay to not be okay? Yeah. But I think if we look past the cliche of that, and it really is okay to not be okay yeah. sometimes. We don't have to be these strong pillars through grief. We can actually sit down and deal with it. And I kind of want to turn the tables a little bit to, before we close. Um, if you're not going through grief, 
you will at some point, number one. But number yep. two, obviously, there will be times when people around you are. So what do you say? What do you do? What, mm. you know? and, and for that person, I'll give a couple examples. Uh, going back to this young man that um, we knew who ended up taking his life uh, a couple of years ago, one of our other board members knew, was friends with his dad. And actually, uh, I said to our board member, his name is not John, I'll call him John. I said, John, have you reached out to his dad, Bill? And his dad's not named Bill, but John, have you reached out to Bill? He said, no, I don't know what to say. I said, you don't have to say anything. Just let him know you're thinking of him, care about him. So if you read the book of Job, which is all about suffering, it's not all about it, but there's a lot of suffering. Like he has these so-called friends that God ends up rebuking. But the best thing that friends of Job did was initially they sat there in silence for seven days. They didn't say anything. Just when they opened their mouth is when they screwed up. That's right. And then, uh, are you saying that because I'm opening my mouth? No. I'm just kidding. And so, (laughs) and and then uh, more recently, this happened a few months ago. I was with a young man, great, great guy, um, great young man, but he had a friend and this, this friend was married and they had a miscarriage, lost a child. And it was about four months after the fact. And so this, the guy talking to me, talking about his friends, what said something to the extent of, well, I think at this point he should be, he should get over it. Mm. And you know, I didn't say anything, which believe it or not, that happens now every now and then. And he said, what do you think? I said, you want my honest opinion? He said, yeah. I said, I think that's the stupidest thing you could have ever said. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, last week, you know, at the time, last week, my oldest daughter, I had taken her to the playground and was pushing her a swing. And she, out of the blue, she just said, um, David, or David, daddy, Dad. daddy, um, is the baby in heaven? I said, well, which baby? She said, the one that died in mommy's belly before me. Yeah, I think so. Was the baby a boy or a girl? I was like, well, I don't know, sweetheart. I don't, I don't know. She's like, I think the baby was a girl. I'm like, you know what? I do too. And and so, I mean, we've talked to her about it. And um, anyway, as she's talking, now this was years later, right? Five, six years later. I just start crying at the playground, you know, for something that, it's not something I carry as far as something that I see. So I, as I was going back to my friend, you know, this guy was with, just dumb statement, man. And so we're not... So if you're the person that has people around you, it's okay to not say anything. It's okay to not know what to say. The best thing we could do is be present. The best thing we could do is let someone know that you're there, that you care. Um, Just ask, is, is there anything I can do? Yeah. How can I pray for you? I mean, if you ask them, I, I think that the person going through the grief needs to lead the process. Sure. It's not your job to decide what they need. Yeah. So ask them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would even preface with because I didn't want to talk to anybody mm-hmm. initially. And so I would even preface that with, you know, I, I've sent messages at times said, hey, you don't have to respond to this. I want you to know I'm praying for you. If you would like, mm-hmm. you know, conversation more, if you need something yep. at that point, I'm available. But you don't don't feel pressure to yep. respond. So, yeah, I, I think that's really good. Allow them to lead that process. But also, I think if, you know, a lot of times people in grief, maybe they don't know what they need. Yeah. Or. You know, maybe just dropping by with a cup of coffee and not even staying, but just, hey, I just wanted you to know I'm thinking about you. Here's a cup of coffee or here's your favorite meal or here's a gift card. You know, mm-hmm. again, with the gifts, but I, it just lets them know that you're thinking about them and it gives them one less thing to think about. 
And I would add to that, um, a, a lot of people are, are there for you when something first happens, when there's a funeral and a visitation and that day, maybe the next day, yeah. uh, there's, you know, people all around you, put it on your calendar to check back in with them a week later or a month later and bring the coffee and yes. show up, show up for them because just because you've had the funeral, just because the the body isn't with you anymore, that doesn't mean that the grief is over. And right. so checking back in later yeah. and and um, asking, I think, is, is really good. Another thing I, I just want to add is um, if you've been through grief yourself, if you've been through tragedy and difficulty, I just don't believe God wastes those mm-hmm. opportunities. Right. Yeah. You're uniquely positioned to help someone else or to ask them the questions because you've been through it and you know the dumb things people say and what not to say, right. or you know <laughs> how to how to reach out in a way that it relates. And so I think if you're uh, willing to say, God, just use the grief that I've been through to help mm-hmm. someone else, yes. God will do it. He'll be faithful to do that. And I, I just think like r- recognize that I don't think God causes those tragedies to happen. I think that's sin, right. but I think that he doesn't waste those things. Um, and, and he wants to use them for his glory and, and for your own growth as well. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, um, those firsts that come after mm-hmm. death. You know, there's a there's their first birthday, there's the Christmas, there's Valentine's Day, there's, you know, just special events. And mm-hmm. if if you've been through grief, like you said, you know what those firsts feel like after someone's gone. And so, again, like you said, mark that on your calendar. And, and to finish this out, uh, one of the reasons, well, before I say that, be, if you're going through grief, uh, no, for both, for both people, if you're going through it or if you have those around you, I would say take initiative. Take initiative to reach out to the person going through it and make them available. If you're going through it, or if you should be going through it and you're not allowing yourself to, take the initiative to go through it, to talk to someone, to not go through it alone. The reason I wanted to address this issue today is tomorrow will be four, we- four weeks since my dad passed. Like, And my mentality is like, normally like if, if we're at a place where we need financial breakthrough, I start looking for where I can give money away. Right. right. I just I believe that we reap what we sow. I'm gonna whatever is attacking me, whatever is coming at me, I want to attack head on. Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons I actually wanted to discuss this topic was this is my one of my ways that of I'm just attacking this head on to God willing, some point down the road, someone listening to this, it can be an encouragement to them. So anyway, take initiative, whatever side of the spectrum you're on. And then uh I think you may not know what that looks like, but it starts with reaching out and you know, kinda how do, you, how do you eat an elephant, Amy? One bite at a time. And on that note, Amy's joke was awful, so we're going to go. God bless you. And Lord, I pray for those who are out listening. I pray give them grace if they're grieving. Heal their hearts. The Bible says that you are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Lord, for those of us who have people around us who are hurting, give us wisdom and insight. Until next time, this is David Lyons. This is Megan Hay. Just follow us on Facebook. And this is... Amy Keahi. Dang, dang.